Hey, what's up, everybody? Danny Pinto here from the Slesson Podcast. And uh, before we get started on episode number 47 of the show, we wanted to remind you that Manscaped is back as a proud sponsor of the Slesson Podcast. Europe's best soccer is back this summer for the Euros, so you want to avoid a messy midfield and clean it all up with Manscaped. Be a proper man this tournament and shave your balls with a brand new Lawnmower 4.0 available in the United States and in Canada. And also get Manscaped's Ultra Smooth Package. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you, our Slesson Podcast listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping worldwide when you use the promo code SLESSON at Manscaped.com. That's S-E-L-E-C-A-O at Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SLESSON at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com by using the code Hit the target and sure up your D this Euros with Manscaped. Hey, this is Nathan Motes, and you're listening to the Celestial Podcast. Simoš, bending one for Torres. Eusebio. Oh, my word! Have you ever seen anything like that? He's got to Simão. A passar por dois adversários, Simão. A tentar obter o gol a Figo. E... And we welcome you to episode number 47 of the Celeste Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. We want to thank you guys once again for uh, making this show a part of your podcast and now YouTube viewing day. As uh, as I mentioned a few days ago on the pod, we were going to go uh, exclusively on YouTube uh, for this week of show, something out of our uh, out, out of our control. So we apologize to all of you guys who are used to uh, watching us or listening to us, I should say, uh, via any of your podcasting platforms, but uh, this is a, a YouTube uh, a, a YouTube only uh, episode until we get back on uh, on uh, you know our regular schedule on the uh, on the podcasting uh, network that we host uh, the show on. But that's stuff that really doesn't concern you guys. I won't bore you with it uh, anymore. But I uh, just want to thank you guys again uh, for tuning in, viewing in. Thank you for all the subscriptions to the uh, to to the YouTube channel. Um, you know, uh, we we crested over a hundred, uh, and we did that in uh, just a little bit less than a week. The majority of it, uh, you guys have been uh, been really hitting the subscribe uh, the subscribe button uh, since we've been putting stuff on the uh, on the YouTube channel. So we thank you for that um, wholeheartedly. But uh, enough of the uh, the positive and the mushy stuff. Uh, we got to get to the what is the negative here? As um, we just try to digest what the hell happened on Saturday. As uh, Germany in Munich uh, just dismantled and embarrassed uh, our beloved Slesson four to two, uh, and uh, now has knocked uh, the Slesson from first place to third place, uh, and now um, just things are not as uh, not that they were like completely positive because nothing really up until the 84th minute of the Hungry game seemed to be going our way. We did get the plus three um, in terms of goal differential and a shutout, which is huge. Which May still, uh, you know, be a reason why we might get into the round of 16, but it was just no doubt uh, the worst performance by a Fnunsunch-led team. And how long he has uh, as as being the uh, the manager of this lesson of this national team um, after performances uh, after a performance, I should say, like Saturday's. Um, that was a huge focus after the match. Um, you know, I, I uh, I've gone on. You know, Twitter's where we kind of do our our bread and butter here in terms of our our uh, our connection with you guys. Um, I've done a, a couple of spaces um, interactions or just kind of uh, chats with the, with the folks on Twitter. That went uh, really really well uh, this past Saturday, just in terms of 
uh, getting to talk to people, not <laughs> because of what we actually spoke about, but um, the topic for the most part was for none such and, and just not on the spaces, but just on, on Twitter. And is this the guy that should still be the manager leading this national team um, after uh, this Euro is over? And I saw people who said, I don't care if they win it again, he should be out. Uh, I mean, for months, some for years, have been calling for his job because of his very defensive approach and not taking advantage of the offensive power uh, that this team could potentially unleash on an opponent. Um, and I have been on the more conservative side of things when it comes to Fernand Sanch. You know, uh, you know, Saturday was his fifth loss ever in a competitive match for the national team. That's going back all the way to 2014. So we're, we're approaching seven years of him being at the, at the helm. He won 2016 at the euros, got us our first ever, uh, uh international title as a, as a senior, as a senior side, uh, back that up with the inaugural nations league in 2019. Again, call it whatever the hell you want about that title. It's still a title and we were the first to get it. And he was at the helm of that. With that said, I'm beginning to look at the situation a little bit like this and and like so many others have. You can forever thank Fernand Sanch for 2016, for 2019, for getting us those, those titles. And at the very same time, you can also say that his time has come to leave. And whether it's him being fired, whether it's him resigning, we talk about, you know, either or with, with Eric coming up, um, I wasn't in that camp before uh, Saturday. I'm beginning to listen to what others have probably been clamoring for for the last, like I said, last few months, last few years, uh, given that this team has not reached its offensive potential, for the lack of a better term, um, under his watch. And there doesn't seem to be a fear for Portugal. Not that we should be putting fear into anybody, but in terms of fear offensively with the firepower potentially that could be unleashed, uh, there, there's, there is expectation of this team that isn't being met on the offensive side of the football. And when you have a performance like you, like the Slesson did on Saturday, where this defensive mindset, this conservative mindset, this counterattack mindset was absolutely destroyed in 90 minutes over and over and over again from start to finish, uh, you start to you start to kind of look at things a little bit differently. Um, and yeah, maybe his time has come. We uh, again, so much to to digest uh, in, in a in a short amount of time here. And um, it's it will be interesting to see what happens after France uh, if we get to the round of sixteen, which I hope which hopefully we do. Um, and then what happens in the knockouts? God, I, I, it, it would not. Here's what. Here is the absolute truth. It would not shock me if we get knocked out and we don't even make the round of 16. It wouldn't shock me if we won the go the whole goddamn thing again because we've seen that playbook before with this coach and now with the better team. I'm everywhere. That the the game against Germany really shook me to the core in terms of my belief uh, in this team and in Fernandes, but. We, we've again, we've seen it before, uh, so I, I'll, I'll stop at that. Uh, we'll of course be uh, be joined by Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. He is of course our Portugal um, match analyst and has been throughout the uh, the tournament. Will be throughout this tournament, whether it's for one more match uh, or if we get to some uh, some action in the round of sixteen. Uh, Eric is obviously never shy when it comes to his opinion of uh, of Portugal and of Fernando Sanchez and of the players. And uh, he'll be on here in just a, a few minutes here. But a reminder of all the ways you can uh, follow, share, listen, and subscribe to the podcast. First and foremost, bookmark us on your uh, your internet uh, web browser at uh, slesonpod.com. Uh, so many of you have done it, as I mentioned earlier on. Uh, again, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on YouTube, enter the Sless on Podcast in your search engine, and then hit the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at Sless on Pod. Look us up on, uh, on uh, Instagram at uh at Slesson Pod. 
uh, facebook.com slash pod and you can email us slesonpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or any podcasting platform simply by entering the Pod in your search engine. And if you are listening to us via Apple Podcasts, leave the pod a five-star rating and a nice comment on Apple Podcasts if you would be so kind. I know that, uh, again, this is an exclusive YouTube uh, episode probably the next one will be too, but uh, these uh, podcasts or these episodes will eventually make their way back into the audio portion of this podcast. So again, uh, once and, and we're still on Apple Podcasts, so you could still go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star rating if you like. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but again, every little bit helps uh, to make this uh, podcast more available um, on both uh, podcasting platforms and more visible on social media. And uh, don't forget about our uh, partners over at the Joseph Ray BBQ Company. As uh, look at that, here's some swag. Got some swag from uh, from the good folks at JRBC. Uh, Joseph Ray Barbecue, pure delicious fire, and it absolutely is. Uh, I, <laughs> the the pictures I saw from from uh, Joey's uh, catering uh, deal this weekend were um, just finger licking good. I don't know if I can say that now. Well, well, I. Uh, Colonel Sanders, you can sue me if you want, but uh, uh, they are serving delicious barbecue all over Northern California and the Bay Area, and uh, GRBC is the right choice for your slice on watching parties all tournament long, whether it ends on Wednesday or, you know, again, on July the 11th. Uh, send the uh, Joseph Ray Barbecue Company a message on their Instagram uh, at Joseph underscore Ray underscore BBQ underscore CO for a quote. That's at Joseph underscore Ray. That's R-A-E underscore bbq underscore co for a quote let me go ahead and put that banner right under the there it is there it is danny be a professional for goodness sakes um yeah they uh joey does just an absolute uh phenomenal job with uh with his uh with his uh, barbecue again if it had a pulse at any point in this lifetime uh he will put it on the grill and uh, he will make it delicious pure delicious fire is what they're all about over at the joseph ray barbecue company uh make sure you message them for a quote on instagram like this podcast the joseph ray barbecue company is portuguese american owned and operated <coughs> i knew i was going to get wasn't going to get through that and they're ready uh, they are ready to make their ne- your next gathering i should say a tasty one uh, hit up uh, Joseph Ray Barbecue Company on Instagram and tell them that the uh, Slesson Podcast sent you. And coming up right now is our interview and our discussion with Eric Krakauer of BN Sports. All right, folks. Uh, so welcome into episode number 47 of the Slesson Podcast, a- an exclusive on um, on YouTube this week. Uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that you guys don't need to uh, bothered yourselves with on, uh, on my side of things, but, uh, we'll have this, uh, pod up on the podcasting site, uh, you know, in, in the future, but, um, not a lot of talk about this go around, uh, as we, as we welcome in, uh, Eric Krakauer, just, um, you know, Portugal put up a good effort, not embarrassing at all. Not a lot of questions, uh, all, all to play for against France. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Eric, that, that was, uh, well, first of all, but welcome. And I hope you had a, a great father's day. Uh, I did. Thank you. Still uh, reeling from the trauma that we suffered as a as a collective, as a nation. Um, I still have trouble thinking about that game. I was fuming during the game, as you saw, um, based on my my tweets, <laughs> which started very early before the the goals actually uh, went in. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an abysmal showing, and you know the questions that. That a lot of people have been asking of Fernando Santos have just been underscored, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we were of the opinion, at least I was. Um, I I've heard the skeptics, I've heard the criticism of Fernando Santos, and yet I am and have been a big defender of Fernando Santos because, as I mentioned in the last podcast, and as I mentioned in podcasts before, um, it's one of those things that if it ain't broke, uh, it's hard to to find fault with it when you get the result. But when you're exposed, as they were on Saturday, the naysayers, the critics, have who have had their say for weeks, months, and maybe now a few years, uh, they they pretty much were validated with the with, with the manner in which Portugal played, and a lot of questions that uh, have been asked of Nunes, while the team has been relatively positive, 
now, Eric, there are a lot of questions with their backs against the wall uh, coming up on uh, with a big match coming up on Wednesday with everything to play for. They have their future in their hands uh, when they take on the defending uh, and current world champs, uh, the French. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what to add right now, uh, except uh, to say I was gob- that- I was gobsmacked by that by that performance. I mean, I, I know you. I mean, you predicted a two-one loss, but not lo- all losses are created equal. But that was an mm-hmm. ass kicking. Right. I think we should have conceded six or seven. Um, you know, you had a couple of really good saves from um, Rui Patricio. You had a couple of uh, incredible challenges uh, that that came in. Uh, you know emergency challenges to put out fires. I thought Pep was was very good in this game, as good as he could possibly be, uh, considering how stretched Portugal Portugal were. And at 38, the fact that he was the best performer um, on that pitch, uh, it tells you a little bit about not only the system, but how ill-prepared the team was to face the German 3-4-3, because ultimately it comes down to that, I, I mentioned on the last pod, uh, Danny, that that what, what concerned me is that you have a wounded Germany and a team that has been built to win for decades. Uh, this sure. is the, the winning mentality. I think I use the term courses through their veins, and we saw that. And despite all the talk from Fernand Sench that now people take Portugal seriously as a contender, which People do, maybe not after that shellacking, <laughs> but um, but the reality is Portugal as a team has never had the winning mentality that Fernando like Fernando Santos likes to say they do. They just simply don't. Even in 2016, look, they didn't win a single game in, in 90 minutes. So. Uh, and they defended valiantly. Pep was outstanding. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was 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 excellent a- as well. But I don't think you look back at the 2016 tournament and think, man, that's a team with a winning mentality. I think that was a team that believed that they could compete with everybody. But they had a lot of a lot of luck go their way as well. But that's a whole different conversation. And and, and to sort of relate it to what happened against Germany in, in Munich. They were scared from the get-go. I mean, even even the distribution from Rui Patricio at the beginning, you know, was so they they, they seemed they seemed like deer in headlights. Yeah, didn't know what the left like. Didn't know if they were going left. Didn't know if they were going right. Didn't know right. once they had the ball at their feet what was what was right. happening. It was again, it was pretty shocking. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, real, real quick, Eric, before uh, we get all the hate mail because I know you love to receive it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in 2016, Portugal did beat Wales in regulation. Oh, that's true. The 2-0 game. Yeah. The 2-0 game. Yeah. The, so, only, the so, only game. Right. The only game that the, they won. The only one. The only one. Um, yes. So real quick, uh, just let's recap. Uh, we'll get the recap over with. Um, same starting lineup uh, as in the Hungry game. Patricio in goal. Nelson Smith on the right. Rafael Gajardo on the left. Uh, Pep and Ruben Dias uh, at the central defense there. Uh, double pivot once again with William and with Danilo. We will definitely talk about that uh and then you have Bruno Fernandes, uh, Bernard Silva, uh, Diogo Jota and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh fifth minute um it was a preview of things to come uh because even though the goal was nullified uh Germany goes through the middle of the field th- uh you know gets it out to uh, to the right side uh, to uh to Gazans uh, he uh scores but the goal is nullified because uh, Nabry was offside um that was just the beginning of the onslaught that Germany was going to be coming uh, to Portugal with. Um, I had tweeted, if they can survive, if they be in Portugal, if they could survive the first 15, 20 minutes, because we both, we both thought Eric, that Germany was going to be coming out guns blazing, but if they could survive that first 15, 20 minutes and even get an early goal, all the pressure then would be on Germany. And then Portugal, given that they are, much more of a counterpuncher than the than the uh, than the offensive team that we all hope they can be sometimes. That I thought might have opened up something for for Fernandes and his squad, but it didn't. They got the goal early uh, off the counter. Brun, uh, Bernard Silva, Diogo Jota finds Ronaldo in the box, puts Portugal up one nil after what was just uh, a hold on your butts kind of fifteen minutes for Portugal. But then Germany just kept on, kept on, kept on going. Twenty minutes later, uh, an own goal. 
Um, credited to uh, Ruben Diaz. Uh, again, the ball came to the from the right side. And, and in this instance, you have you see Muller just pointing at Gazans. Just go. Get to that spot. Get to that spot. And the ball goes to the right. Uh, Havertz beats uh, beats um, uh, Huben Diaz to the ball. Ball goes off of Huben Diaz. Three minutes later, another own goal. Ball coming again. This is coming down from the right now. The ball's not going to the right. It's already there. It's a, it's a theme that we're going to discuss here, Eric. But another own goal. First time a team has ever given up two own goals in a match. Yay to us. We're in history again. There was there was some talk, Eric, and, I, and I'd like to get your thought on it. There was some talk that Gazans on the initial ball may have been offside when he was uh, when he had received it. The arm is, I, I, and again, the offside rule seems to change every two minutes here. But arm seemed to be a little bit forward. What did you think? Because Clattenburg, uh, the analyst for on ESPN, thought it may have been called back, but it yeah. evidently was not. No, I mean, it, it, look, it goes it goes to to the shoulder, and 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 that's it. Whether the the t shirt, the top of the t shirt sleeve. Uh, you weren't. We we weren't going to get saved once once again. And man, did we not deserve to. So I've got no issues whatsoever with that. Uh, with that no call. Sure. Uh, so we head to the half down to one. Uh, at the uh, at the half, Hanat uh, Sunch comes in. Uh, I had no problem with Hanat Sunch coming in, given that they needed some offense. I was a tad surprised that Bernard Silva was the decision. Uh, as a substitute, not that he was setting the world on fire. He did set up or was part of that counterattack to get that first goal, but you would think you would want to have some of your offensive stars uh, on the field to build a comeback, but uh, he decided, Fernand Sanchez did, to take out Bernard Silva. Um, five minutes into the half, uh, one of the nails in the coffin came um, when uh, Havertz made it 3-1. Again, the ball playing to the right side. Uh, another goal, this one by the man of the match, uh, Gazans. Uh, he gets the ball, beats uh, Nelson Smith, uh, again, wide open on that right-hand side of the Portuguese defense to make it 4-1 after the 59th minute. Um, what could be the saving grace here is Portugal's goal in the 67th that right now has them, after half of the teams have played all three games now, still has Portugal currently second among the third place teams to qualify for next for the next uh, or for the knockouts um, gets us to 4-2 uh, 10 minutes later or check that yeah about 10 minutes later Hanat Sanch with I don't know how he didn't kick the stuffing out of the ball Eric on that shot that hit the post off of a corner set play that hits off the post that could have changed the last 10 minutes or so uh, of the match uh, to make it 4-3 it was uh, not to be and a 4-2 defeat at the hands of the Germans um, is what uh, the national team of our beloved Portugal got. Um, easy question, Eric. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, look. Let's go. Let's go to that disallowed goal um, that you mentioned, where sure. where Gnabry is offside. He makes a, a deliberate move towards the ball, so it's it's the right decision. Gosens puts it in. The ball comes from the right hand side. I forget whether it was Kimmich who crossed it, but there was an eternity for the crossing player to, to, to you know, to pick up his head and pick out a pick out a target. Whether or not Gosens was was the intended target, that's up for for discussion. But right after that play, or maybe just before, I tweeted, "We are going to have some real issues with the wing overloads." I think about five minutes into the game, four minutes into the game, I tweeted that it was obvious immediately. From, from the setup. And, you know, the the sort of lateral defending from Portugal since Fernando Santos has been the coach has been a weak point. And that's not pointing fingers at, you know, Nelson Smith or Rafael Guerreiro, who I mentioned in our first preview pod is not a very good defender. I wanted him no. to play against Hungary because this is, a you know, you knew that they were going to have most of the ball and, and that you needed somebody who could, who could, uh, elaborate in tight spaces in possession and he's one of those guys and it so happened that he scored the first goal with the the, the luck of a, a terrible deflection uh but it's an area that has been vulnerable for portugal forever and in this game with a team playing with two very attack-minded wingbacks and gosens who plays for atalanta and Kimmich, who doesn't really play anymore as a right back or as a wing back with Byron, because he has developed over the last five years into probably the best deep lying playmaker 
in world football. He's actually one of the, for me, one of the most complete players in the world. You can stick him anywhere. You could probably put him in goal and he put uh, a good performance. Um, but he is a guy who started his career as, as a right back. He knows that position well. There was, was a lot of talk leading up to this game that he was being wasted in that position. But when you have Ilkay Gundogan, uh, as well as uh, Tony Kroos in the middle, you know, you can put a player of that quality on the right and he's going to deliver and deliver he did. And what you saw early on was that Bernardo, uh, Bernardo Silva and, and Jota, but mostly Bernardo, weren't tracking back. They simply weren't doing the defensive work. You know, you you pointed this out. And I'm sorry that I'm that I'm speaking too much here. No, no, no. You, go for it. You pointed out one of my tweets before the tournament started that I thought that that uh, Diogo Dalot should have should have started instead of Semedo. But I I was happy with Semedo's performance in the game against Hungary, despite the issues that he had going forward. And I don't think he had a particularly bad game here. And 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 I know that a lot of people. As soon as I say that, I'm wondering, well, what the hell this guy is this guy talking about? But if you watch closely at the system that Germany employed, it was perfect because Nelson Smith was sucked in time and time again to help out in more central areas because of the three forts. So you had you had uh, Havertz coming in uh, deep in between the lines. He would sometimes be followed by Ruben Dias. He'd sometimes be followed uh, by Pep. You had Gnabry and, and Muller making vertical runs that required Semedo and at times Guerrero to follow them because if not Ruben Dias or Pep would be isolated against two guys. So obviously what that does is it opens those, those uh, positions out wide. And if you don't have a defensive, not a defensive-minded, but somebody who is alert to defensively to go and, and compensar, as they say in Portugal, uh, for the, for the, for the, the, the sucking in of, of the, the fullbacks, you're doomed. So on so many occasions, you saw Nelson Semedo go into the middle and look behind his back and see that Gosens was wide open and Bernardo yeah. Silva is all the way forward. Now, there was one play you know, for, that led to one goal, which which I sort of forgive Bernardo because he picked up the ball. There was a counterattack from Portugal. He picked up the ball deep in his own side and he made a sprint all the way to the end and there was a goal-scoring opportunity, but a tackle took the ball off his feet. And I can understand that he was gassed and couldn't track back. In that situation, you have you know Danilo move over. Now, you mentioned a double pivot. Portugal didn't actually play in a double pivot in this game. They played with a 4-1, 4-1, with William Carvalho playing more as, as an eight. Now, he was pulled back because Portugal was playing very deep. And in a double pivot situation, if you were playing that, you have the double pivots sort of spreading wide to make up for those, for those wingers who don't track back. And then somebody who's in the position of Fernando uh, of Bruno Fernandes coming in. But the whole system, once a domino fell positionally, everything started to crumble. But the, the, the plan that's, that, that Germany implemented worked from the word go. And what was infuriating to me, and this is my last point on this, I promise, what was infuriating to me was that Fernando Sanchez did not make the adjustments. What he did was he replaced players. Bernardo Silva, you said you were surprised that he was pulled. I was surprised he wasn't pulled earlier because he wasn't doing the tracking back. I understand that he's an attacking catalyst, but when you're pegged back the way we were, Fernando Silva is not a guy who's going who's to give you, at least now, over the last few years, the, the kind of presence that you need. With Monaco under Leonardo Jardim when they played a counterattacking football, but they were explosive on the counterattack, Yes, he was more suited to that to that strategy because that's how he, he sort of played. But he's been playing for Manchester City for years, a team that ha- dominates possession. So then he brings Renato Sench, and within five or six minutes, he doesn't cover Gosens. He doesn't come back. He's actually watching him. And you have, I think, the, the fourth goal. And then Rafa comes in. Renato Sench moves into the middle where he was more effective, it must be said, in possession. And Rafa watches Gosens go in for that header. I mean, he tracks him back for a little bit, but once the cross is made, he doesn't even make an effort to put a body on him. So it, it, it was just stupefying. It was mind-numbing to see the same cycle of play prove so effective because Portugal couldn't adjust. And as much as you, you chalk that down to individual mistakes, Fernando Santos, man, you have to take the blame. Yeah, and uh, and he did and he did so in so many words after the match where he says, if you want to blame somebody, blame me. That's all well and good, but this is the system that has been his bread and butter 
uh, in terms, not maybe not system itself, but just the the in terms of the style of play where it's the defensive it's, posture. Yeah, absolutely, and it's which makes and it when, more aggravating, right? Sorry, which makes it more no, aggravating no, go ahead. because you, you've built this entire team on its defensive solidity. Although Portugal, let's be honest, they never really defended that well, right? And I'll and and I'll give you a comparison. You watch the way that Hungary defended against Portugal, and you watch the way that Portugal sometimes defends, even when they manage to keep a clean sheet. There seems to be too much emergency defending from Portugal, right? Like a, 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 a necessary, urgent tackle from Pep. Ruben Dias making, you know, uh, like, a, like a, a handful, a handful of last, uh, last, last ditch efforts. efforts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So this is not a team that. While we keep a lot of clean sheets with Fernando Sanchez, this is not a team that you look at and you go, oh, man, they're really sturdy. Like, organizationally, they move as a really good unit. They don't. They really don't. Um, we just have very good players, um, it, like like Pep, uh, for example. But just to, to go back a second, what's amazing is that this is a guy who's built this team to be defensive, and yet he could not make the adjustments. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's his, that is his calling card, and again, it's 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 the it's the style of play that has been questioned and criticized now for I would say about two to three years, given the emergence of these offensive players that weren't part of the 2016 team, um, and yet it's it is you know it's like Groundhog Day over and over again, where yeah we're trying to get the result instead of kind of trying to you know make a make a team play against us knowing that offensive players are coming most teams now Eric or and have been for the last few years know that you know there's not going to be a punch there's going to be a counter punch there's not going to be an offensive uh, uh type of uh of of attitude with this national team uh I, I the the only game I can I can think of where they were a little bit more on the front foot was the final against the Netherlands in in the Nations League where Portugal controlled that game from start to finish. It was the most complete game I think I had seen Portugal play in a while. Maybe even the the game against Croatia in the Nations League uh, without Ronaldo when they when they beat Croatia four one. Yes, but again those those are those that are anomalies. Right. Yeah, that those are anomalies. Fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I actually don't. I don't even know if I completely agree with you about the Netherlands game. Uh, I think that they were uh, certainly they executed their their counterattacking game plan well they didn't they didn't boss possession in that game if i remember correctly and maybe maybe they did at one point but i remember thinking that that holland had a lot of the ball just weren't really able to to create very much a couple of shots they played the very they played very portugal like on offense they played efficiently <laughs> I, think right, yeah. I think you're right in saying that they played efficiently right they it, they were able to stretch the netherlands on multiple occasions, but it took a, a shot, you know, one of these uh, Gonzalo Guedes specials uh, to, to, to get the winner. Uh, I don't think they ever really, you know, uh, proved to have the cunning edge that we like to believe that Portugal should be playing with given the amount of talent that they have. And I haven't seen Portugal play like that since 2000, the Euro in 2000. That was the last time I saw Portugal playing like a team it was India Bravo, right? They had the devil in their boots. Um, we all know how that turned out in the semifinals against France. Sure. We, uh, we're talking with Eric Krakauer here. We're uh, looking back on the disappointing loss uh, against Germany uh, this past Saturday in uh, round two of uh, European uh, of the uh, Euro 2020. As uh, so Portugal sit currently in third. We'll, uh, we'll bring up the uh, standings here. Let's bring up the standings uh, on the third place standings first, and I'll share that with you. Here in just a second as we are, and I just lost it, but I bring it again because I am nothing if not determined to get this on. There it is. So um, after today's victory uh, by Switzerland, um, they are in um, as a guaranteed third place uh, third place team. So right now, uh, Portugal is fighting for three spots. You see here Ukraine and Finland, they have already uh, played their three games, so Portugal currently sit in second. Uh, you have Spain. You have Croatia playing tomorrow. Um, again, it's it's in our hands, Eric. Uh, if uh, if we want it here, as uh, we look to Wednesday, um, the standings are as they are. France has already qualified. At worst, they are a third place team, depending on how things go uh, in the match against Portugal, and then uh, Germany uh, hosting Hungary. Um, Hungary can still. 
it's a, and I hate using bad language, but I don't have a way to edit it. This uh, this go around. Hungary can still fuck shit up for Portugal, and uh, and this is and this is how. So if you look at the if you look at the Portugal match, Portugal with a draw or a victory are automatically into the into the final uh, round of, or into the round of sixteen. A Portugal loss doesn't necessarily mean that they are out. However, they will be out if Hungary beats Germany because Germany would then have the third place finish because of head to head. So again, it's very important that uh, that Portugal does uh, obviously try to get any kind of result whatsoever uh, in this uh, in this situation uh, that they put themselves in and that's and that's something that is kind of a a theme here for Portugal. Portugal has put themselves in situations where it's they've made the work harder for them. Uh, you go back to qualifying for this tournament. Um, you know, not taking care of business against Ukraine and Serbia at home when they clearly dominated both those teams. They draw. They, they drew robbed, against. They were robbed against Serbia. Uh, oh, that was the World Cup qualifier, wasn't it? That's World Same. Cup qualifier. Yeah, we yeah. can't. We can't get rid of those guys all, to all save our lives. All mixed up because of the condensed schedules. Jesus. We, but but it's it's but that game too. It's it's one of those things where it's like Portugal has not ever been the dominant team that we all think they should be. And that I think has a lot to do with Fernand Sanch and I'll get to, and we will get to Fernand Sanch here in a minute here, but well, let's but hold on. It let's, happened with all the bands. It happened with Carlos Queiroz where they had trouble qualifying. You know, I remember, I forget who it was against, but to, to get into the 2010 world cup, it took a Bruno Alves goal late against somebody to get a win. I Albania. Forget, Albania, right? Albania, yeah. <laughs> and then we go to, you know, in Denmark, uh, there was a, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo header late in the, you know. So it, it's not like this is just, this is just something that is, uh, that, that is limited to, we, this is just, it's we always, DNA. Yeah, we always find a way to do it at Hashka, dude. It's never, it's never easy. It's, and it's, and it's, I've always fought back against like the whole like, um, you know, oh, we always do this. Well, you know what? It shouldn't be that way because there are different players now. There are different coaches, but yet we still find a way. And as you mentioned, Eric, it's like it's in our DNA that this is the only way we know how to do this. And that's yeah. frustrating as hell, but. Um, yeah, it's in, it's yeah. in my DNA when I play pickup soccer. My team is usually losing 5 nil before we react. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> even I'm, even I'm affected. <laughs> I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out in an hour, right? Um, yeah, Eric's got a, Eric's actually got to, to play some football himself too after this uh, interview, so we appreciate his time. But um, so, just some scenarios that could happen if Portugal do finish in third place, uh, they would fi they would play either uh, Belgium or the Netherlands, as you see here uh, on uh, on the twenty seventh of June, which is a Sunday. If Portugal do end up winning. Their group, uh, they would play on the 28th, which is a Monday. As winners of Group F, they would take on either the third-place uh, team from Group A or Group C. And if they are a runner-up and finish second, they would take on uh, either the uh, Czech Republic or uh, England in London on Tuesday, the uh, 29th of June. So it's, uh, it's not fun to be in the situation that we're in. We have been here before and it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it's, it's part of the DNA. Sometimes you just wish you could change your DNA and, and just, uh, just do what is what we hope uh, for or for from this team. Uh, I, I sent you some, some notes, Eric, and, and I want to get to this one. Us as fans. And I know you're a, a member of the media, but you're a fan of this, of this national team. I know you are. It's in your blood. It's in my blood too. I'm a fan first. We rate this team very highly because of the the success and the transfer fees and you know all the glitz and glamour that come with Ronaldo with the emergence of Bruno Fernandes you know winning championships at City like uh, Bernard Silva has uh, the emergence of uh, a player of the year in England like Ruben Dias but are the expectations too high and some from something that you kind of talked about earlier is you know they won twenty in twenty sixteen, but look how they won it. Are the expectations too high because the team is now better, and because we won it in twenty sixteen? And is it fair? No, I, look, I don't think the expectations are too high because I don't know how many people you know who support Portugal who are Portuguese thought going into this tournament that they were going to win it. 
Um, you know, I look. All you have. But to again, do- I'm, I'm I'm asking I'm asking though just from a fan perspective because we we all think we're the hottest thing since sliced bread for the most part. Well, but that's and, what I'm saying. Look, let's be real. You, Danny, you hang out with in a, within a Portuguese community a lot more than I do, right? I, okay. I don't, uh, you know, uh, I'm in Miami now. I, I do work with a, with two or three Portuguese people. We have very different opinions about Portuguese national team. One of them is is utterly obsessed with Fernando Sanch and thinks that he's the guy who, who you know, took us to the to the you know to the footballing altar, um, and he's right. To, to a degree, he did after all win two trophies, um, but but I, from from speaking to 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 my friends, even in, in Portugal, um, I never got a sense from them as fans that they thought that Portugal was going to win this tournament. I certainly I certainly did not go into this tournament to take away the the media badge. Okay, I have to try and be as objective as as I can. Sure, uh, but I, I certainly didn't look at Portugal and think they're going to win this tournament. I thought. You know, here's a group of death with the third place. I think it's possible that we will get through to the round of 16. Um, and if we get a if we get a really good matchup, we have a chance. Okay. Now, two of the teams that you mentioned, by the way, Belgium and and uh, and the Netherlands. What do they have in common? They play with a very similar system to Germany. So already, uh, you know, I've decided to put diapers on. Okay, uh, you know, and that's we better. If, we better. We better beat France then. <laughs> yeah, and that is if we make it through. But the reality sure. is, that all those talented players that you were talking about—they're all super successful, but they are successful with players from other countries on their teams in different systems, sure. and that doesn't always translate when you bring everybody together, uh, especially using the system that for them has been, you know, uh, relying on for since he took charge. Well, Fernand Sanch is a hot topic, that is for sure, and uh, I want to get some to some of our Twitter questions. Uh, I my inbox blew up uh, when I asked for some Twitter questions, and I don't know if you uh, if you guys saw um, or Eric, I don't know if you saw, but uh, I'm going here to the first one here. But I just want to see, just want to show you here. There it is. Uh, what questions do you have for us? And and just you know, I I got a little cute here with the with the. Uh, with the artwork here with uh, Fernand Sanch with a hand on his chin. And he, and he says, I hope no one asks about my tactics or my job security. And let's go to the first question here, Eric. Uh, in your opinion, is Fernand Sanch out um, if uh, Portugal does not qualify for the round of 16? Or actually, I let mean, me rephrase Let me rephrase that. Should he be, and do you think he will be if that scenario happens? I don't think he will. Um, uh, I, I think he should be. Um, but not just because of the Euro, but you cannot, you cannot, and I don't know who, who would replace him. Definitely not Jose Mourinho, anybody but that guy. I mean, he's, we he's are, at, we, at Roma. Yeah, but, we agree but, there. For now, for now, anyway, we agree. Yeah, just keep that guy away from the Portuguese national team, please. I mean, the man is the, the man sucks the life out of everything. Um, <laughs> that's a, again, that's an, a, a different conversation. I think that given the talent that that we have at our disposal, we need somebody who is uh, a little bit more tactically uh, uh, adept. Somebody who is certainly more adventurous in in his football. Um, so, not him, not him. Uh, George Jesus, Jesus, for example, would be somebody that I would be that I would be happy to have. I know things have not gone well for your for your beloved Glorioso. Uh, this season, nope. but he is the kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who has the sort of systems that can get the best out of this Portuguese national team. You know, it's it's almost serendipitous as we go to the uh, the next question here. As um, and before we get to the next question, Eric, do you think if let's say, do you think he would resign before he was fired? Maybe. Just, you know, he would he would resign. And, and, and by saying resign as in like being told that if you don't quit you're fired but i think but do you think it would be a resignation before it would be a firing you didn't, think didn't he renew his deal just like a year ago to the uh, till uh till the end of the next euro in 2024 but yeah you know look, look listen i have a feeling we're stuck with him all right next question all right 
Next question. Uh, we spoke of Benfica. Here is uh, Sergio uh, at Serge, at Search P. He says, looking at Benfica's tactics this year, do you think Danilo dropping in between defenders when defending versus Germany would have done enough to stretch out wider and help close the gaps? Look, yes, but, you know, it's, it's a complicated question to answer, and I'm certainly not going to be long-witted about this. You know, if Danilo goes in and that prevents Smedo and, and, and uh, Rafael Gred from having to – to sort of um, to to come in, into the that central lane to help out with those with those central overloads. I'm worried that I'm worried that Germany would be able to create overloads in the middle, in between the lines. You know, I guess the easy answer to that is yes. That seems to be a a way that you could handle this. The problem is the way that. Portugal were playing. If Danilo does that, you are you're going to ask Bruno Fernandes and William Carvalho to be doing a lot of defending as well. Okay, so they have they have to come in deep as well because they have to make sure that there are tight lines between what if what essentially becomes a three center back system at least defensively in that situation, um, and that pins Portugal back considerably. But yes, that would that would potentially be a, a solution. That would be a solution. Yeah. Um, this one is from uh, An, uh, Andre Vega, or Vega, excuse me, uh, at uh, Vega London. Um, we don't have to answer this one because I think we've we've kind of covered it a little bit, Eric. But I just wanted to again just kind of reiterate if we missed anything on this so- sort of uh, subject here. Uh, did Santos not uh, see Gauz- the Gazan's issue? And if he did, the players, uh, but the players weren't doing what he told them. Why wasn't he on the sideline screaming to remind them? Trying to understand how we conceded the same four, uh, the same goal four times, plus a disallowed version too. Um, that is that's the head scratcher of all head scratchers, uh, I think, for me and for you uh, from this uh, from this uh, defeat is how could a, how could adjustments not be made considering the type of coach that Fernand Sanch uh, has has built his reputation uh, on? How did how were adjustments by either him and or the players not made? Uh, during the 90 minutes? Well, players don't usually make those adjustments by themselves. I mean, sometimes a player offensively does something that the, the coach doesn't necessarily ask. Like, I don't know if Fernand told Bruno Fernand in that first game against uh, Hungary to come deeper into the right channel in order to, to create those overloads on the right that ultimately proved successful against Hungary. Um, maybe it was Bruno Fernand who made that decision, you know? So I think that in terms of uh, you know the attacking processes, I think it's more common for a player or players to take it into their own hands and move into a position where they feel that they can pull strings. Especially guys who are you know have high IQ at, attacking wise, like like Bruno Fernandes. Defensively, it's a little bit tougher. And you know how I just struggled to answer that question about Danilo, and I was a little bit sort of mixed up in how I would would answer that. I'm not a, I'm not a coach. I mean, I, I coached at the U18 level. But I'm not a guy who has the, the, the experience that Fernando Santos has. There is no doubt in my mind that he recognized what the issue was. I just don't think he knew how to counter it. I, you know, I, I, think that, I, I think that at a certain point, especially when you go down two goals, you can't ask your team to sit as deep. João Moutinho came out and said, you know, we were too deep. And that was one of the problems because you invite that sort of pressure. And that's why those lanes were open as well. But I think he was he was he was lost to find a, a solution because now you're down a goal. You need to attack, so you need to push those creative players who weren't doing their defensive duties to begin with further up the field. So you're going to be vulnerable anyway. You know when you play a system, when you play with four a four man back line against a system of wing backs. The real solution, unless you switch to three center backs and you play with wing backs as well to, to cover those guys, is that you need to be on the front foot. You need to be playing football, possessing the ball in such a way that those wing backs get pinned back. They're not at liberty to move forward as freely as, as, as uh, Kimmich on the right and Gosens on the left. And since Portugal had trouble holding on to the ball, possessing the ball for for – long periods of time. I mean, they made so many mistakes in possession because they looked so nervous. Gosens and Kimmich never really had to track back. And the few times that we hit them in transition, we exploited those areas 
where yeah. they left gaps behind them. So it, 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 it's, it's a difficult thing for a coach, I think, to adjust to. But Fernando Santos, given his experience, should have been able to find some sort of solution before we conceded the second goal. Uh, you, you mentioned that it's it's hard for a, a uh, for a team or the players on the team or on the field, I should say, to to adjust tactics. That's got a you know the majority of that has to come from the head coach. Um, a Fernandez seventy eight on Twitter. Um, I won't go into the entire question here, but the, what I've highlighted is uh, he he asks why was there no leadership on the field that that spoke to me a lot when I read it today and I looked back on the game I, I rewatched it. Um, yesterday and that was the thing that to me eric was the i guess most disappointing it's not about the leaderships per se but there didn't seem to be and again you first look at your at your captain and i think ronaldo did everything that he probably could have done given the the way that they played offensively uh he's one that will track back and and uh and help out when when uh when uh when he can but um there just seemed to not be someone on the field that grabbed everyone's attention and and to wake everybody up and maybe and, and and you could tell guys tried but nothing got through to the collective and that to me was maybe one probably one of the more disappointing parts of that match on Saturday was and not I, I'll never say that these guys didn't care but they just didn't react and they were just maybe just kind of hit with the thunderstick so early that they were kind of in shock the rest of the way Oh, look, I mean, Danny, that's really hard to ask of players, okay? Because when you go into a tournament or you go into a game, you have to trust that the system that has been devised by your coaching staff is a system that is going to prove fruitful against the team, uh, right? That you'll be able to have success. And if plan A doesn't work, you have to think that there is some sort of plan B. But the thing is, Plan, B, plan A was eviscerated in the first few minutes. And then there seemed to be no plan B. So you're asking a lot from the players to then not only have to think about their particular task at that moment, dealing with these marauding German players just coming at them at full speed, and then trying to figure out what they need to tinker in order to stave off wave after wave of attack it's just a very difficult thing to do and you mentioned cristiano ronaldo and he had a good he did have a decent game but i was so you know everybody was you know, people tweeted it it became a, a a gif or a gif and you know you had all these american uh broadcasting uh twitter handles tweeted out that moment where he looks one way and he back heels it into either bruno Fernandes or bernardo silva and he looks at the crowd I wanted to slap him because (laughs) people might find that super impressive. You're playing Germany, man. Okay. Do those tricks when you play Latvia, when you play Luxembourg, that sometimes you have a hard time breaking down. Okay. Don't do that against the mineshaft, a team that has beaten you 10 times out of the last 15 games, something like that. A team that, that, you know, rampages through you. Uh, in, in tournaments. In 2008, we lost to them. In 2006, third place game, we lost to them. We lost to them um, in 2012. I mean, don't do that. It's just so enervating. Do the back heel. That's fine. Do the back heel. But stop posing for pictures, you fool, right? Because what it, said to, what it says to me is that that moment for him is bigger almost than the game. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. But that is how I perceive moments like that in games of this magnitude. So you talk about leadership and Cristiano does, you know, he shows his leadership. And to me, that's not leadership. You know, leadership to me is Pep on the field, you know, pointing at people. Leadership to me is Sergio Ramos. I've been lucky enough to call a bunch of Real Madrid games. And, you know, he makes mistakes. But a a guy who is absolutely focused – on the task at hand. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that Cristiano Ronaldo isn't. He's one of, he's one of the two greatest players that I've ever seen in, in my life, but he has a tendency to showboat at times when you shouldn't. All right. Fair I enough. I and I want to question, but, but I, but I, no, I listen, I, I, yeah. yeah, you needed to, you needed to get that off your chest, but it's, it's okay. Not a, not a big deal. And I want to apologize to all our Latvian and Luxembourg listeners who, uh, 
who pretty much uh, Eric disrespected. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, last question here, because I know we got to let you go here. Uh, your schedule is a bit tight tonight, but uh, really appreciate you uh, jumping in uh, for a little bit. Um, the last question here is from um, Luciano Felt- Feltrin, excuse me, and his question is, and I we got about a handful of these similar questions, but uh, what formation would you choose to play against France, especially since they would have most likely seen how Germany took advantage of Portugal with width? And and I'll I'll piggyback on this because it's a lot of uh, what we also got into, Eric. There needs to be changes, more than likely, and there will be changes. And Fnunsanch alluded to them um, in his press conference. Um, if you had a pick, you know who you'd like to see in this starting lineup and who you'd like to see out of it based off of these last two performances, how would you like to see the team play uh, against France on Wednesday, and who do you think um, would be in that lineup that you would like to see play? I'd like to see Nuno Mendes on the left. Um, that could that could be a problem because he is still not recovered still, from uh, still, from injury. Yeah, not recovering yeah. from the knock. I'd like to th- let yeah, me Jean, Jean, like to say a few yeah, just real first. quick, real quick before I and I don't mean to interrupt you, but Nunmin still yeah. on the mend. Uh, Joan Felix, I believe, worked uh, with the team uh, without any uh, restrictions. Uh, we haven't seen him yet in the uh, in the Euros, but um, that's the only two um, injury updates I would have as of this recording. But uh, but go ahead. Yeah, I would play with a four three three first of all. Um, you know, with a, with an inverted triangle with somebody in that pivot. Uh, Danilo more than William Carvalho because I thought William Carvalho was a little bit too sloppy, um, and then you know Bruno Fernandes in that in that midfield three, and I think maybe Sergio Oliveira deserves an opportunity to start. I am considering the season that he had uh, with with the national team up up front. I think you, I'd like to see Renato Sanch, um the question then becomes: Do you play him in midfield, or do you play him out on the right, where he played so often with 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 Lille? I think he's a lot better in in the middle. But a four three three. Just to focus on France a second. One of the France has more threats than Germany, but I think that one of the things that we have going for us is that France is a very vertical and very narrow team. Uh, the width that they get is mostly from Kylian Mbappe coming off the left side and, and cutting inside. You know, in order to fit, um, in order to fit Griezmann and Benzema and Mbappe on the same team, they've had to move to a diamond formation, and that's good news for Portugal if they stick to it, because I don't think Pavard is a particularly good attacking fullback. I think he's a he's a very good defender. In fact, he's really a center back. He's not not a right back, even though he's been playing as a right back for the last couple of years. And I'll be interested to see who starts on the left, whether it's Lucas Dean or if it's if it's Lucas Hernandez, uh, because uh, if it is Lucas Hernandez, he won't give you the same sort of verticality that Lucas Dean will. But Hernandez is a better defender than Dean, so that's going to be interesting. But the point there is. Germany really hurt um, Portugal by spreading them with their wide play. France don't look like a team that is able to to spread teams efficiently. Uh, so that's the thing that I think for, for Portugal is good news. And the one guy who came in against Hungary and really stretched them was Moussa Dembele. I'm sorry, Osman Dembele, and he is out of the of oh, the tournament. Yeah. So. So I think that is good news. If France continue to try and penetrate centrally, um, Portugal can hold them back. The question is, well, how do you deal with Kylian Mbappe coming off of the left? You certainly cannot leave um, uh, Nelson Smith isolated against him. No, no. I think uh, people would have uh, an absolute heart attack seeing uh, Mbappe going up against Nelson Smith uh, one-on-one. Uh, real quick, um, Portugal need a result, Eric? Um Given and we won't ask for win, draw, loss. We just I'll just ask you flat out. Um, when we reconvene, whether it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, but when the next time we speak on this podcast, are we talking about Portugal in the round of sixteen, or are we talking about the defending champs going out in group play? I think they're going to be in the round of sixteen. I think they're going to be in the round of sixteen because of the way the other Thank results. God. Are. Well, listen, I'm not omniscient here. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I was right about about Portugal losing. I never expected it to be, you know, the thumping that they got. But I think think we're going to see either a nil-nil or a 1-1 against France. 
France is going to be, you know, um, they're through. They may rest some players. They may rest some players. Griezmann talked about being angry. You know, his grandfather is Portuguese, so yeah. you know, his, his family is split in, in the middle here. I think it might be 1-1, but Portugal will have trouble um, breaking down that French uh, that French team. And, and just very quickly on that, what amazed me, I actually texted Tiago uh, Stevon about this. Again, somebody I recommend that everybody follow on Twitter. And I, I, I said, you know, he didn't, Fernando Sanchez didn't learn anything from France, did he? A solid block of two lines of four, you know, a a Benzema who helped out defensively with Griezmann, and just Kylian Mbappe waiting for the to be the release valve. That is the way Portugal should have approached this game, the game against Germany. But no, no, he, he didn't. He, it it didn't work that way whatsoever. Of course, we don't have Kylian Mbappe. Um, but I, I lose myself here. So one one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with one one. Or nil nil, we get the point. We go through. All right, folks. Listen, it, it you know, this was forty five minutes that absolutely flew here, uh, and we thank Eric for his time as always. Fo- go ahead, Eric. I just want to add something. Uh, this just came up today, but if you, if any of your viewers are into Twitch, which I don't even know what that is, but I had to set up an account today. I'm going to be live streaming that game with uh, Jimmy Conrad and. Uh, um, I forget his I forget his name, and a former Premier League uh, player whose name uh, I, I it just escaped me right now. We'll be we'll be chatting through that game as we watch the game. That will be on on Twitch. So uh, look out for that if you we'll, are. We'll make we'll make sure to retweet it from uh, from our account uh, that you Jimmy Conrad and an EPL player to be named later. Uh, we'll be, we'll be on, we'll be on the Twitch account. Yeah. The, the, the pod has a, a Twitch account. I don't, I'm like you, I don't know how to use it, but whatever. Uh, Eric, again, thanks man for, uh, for your time. Um, we hope, uh, that we will be uh, talking under, uh, some, uh, some circus circumstances that have us previewing our round of 16 matchup, uh, this coming weekend or early next week and, uh, all the best to you and the family, man. And we will talk, uh, in a few days. All right, man. Hopefully, uh, we'll have uh, some positives. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Take, yep. Take care, man. And once again, we want to thank uh, Eric Krakauer for joining us here on episode number 47 of the Slesson podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter uh, at Eric Krakauer. That's E-R-I-C-K-R-A-K-A-U-E-R. Guys, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great, the position that we're in, but the, our destiny is absolutely in our hands. It is, it, if they find a way to put, first of all, put uh, put Saturday behind them and just learn from Saturday and uh, that if none such makes the, the correct tweaks uh, to this, uh, to this starting 11 and, and just to the actual tactics, um, the Celeste don't have every opportunity to find themselves in the round of 16 and who knows? They could get there as as group winners. They could get there uh, as uh, in second place. They could get there in third place. We already know what the scenarios are. We went over that with Eric uh, on this uh, on this episode uh, during our time with Eric. As of this recording, obviously, um, but it's all to play for for the Slesson. And um, if anything, if there's anything that you know, Portuguese people are 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 two things. They are very negative, <laughs> but they're also very proud. And I hope that the pride that these players should have in themselves um, bust bust through in this uh, in this match against uh, against France because it uh, it would be quite it would be quite a shock to me if this group of players no matter how Sanch coaches them if this group of players uh, did not make it out of out of this group group of death be damned um, this team is too good to go out uh, in the gr- in group play and uh, I would hope that it, that does not come to fruition, uh, but we shall see. And uh, you know, depending on when you see this, in twenty-four to thirty-six hours time here. Uh, but all to play for for this last song, and uh, definitely um, a chance to still, still can shock the world, guys, uh, in a positive way, not a negative way. So that will do it for us here on episode number forty-seven of the Slash Song Podcast. Hope you guys really enjoyed uh, a an entire uh, episode here on uh, on the video. Uh, 
a video presentation here on YouTube. Uh, again, uh, we should have the uh, audio portion of it uh, squared away uh, in the next week or so. So we'll look forward to uh, Eric and I talking about the France matchup uh, either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on both of our schedules. But um, yeah, it, it's a it's a good opportunity for this portion of the uh, of the presentation of this podcast to grow and to reach more uh, more eyes instead of just the ears. And uh, we've got a great response so far from you guys, and I really appreciate the support uh, that you guys give the show in all facets. In this social media, um, you know, uh, subscribing on uh, on all our uh, podcasting platforms, whatever the case may be, just a big thank you and a munto obrigado to all of you uh, for uh, making this show as fun as it still is, even if uh, we're going through a really crap time in the last uh, few uh, few couple of days here. Um, yeah, it sucked. That, that Germany game sucked, guys. There's no other way to say it. But uh, like I said, that'll do it for us here on episode number 47 of the Slesson Podcast. Remember to uh, bookmark our website, slessonpod.com. Uh, subscribe to us right here on the YouTube. Yes, do it, do it, do it. Don't know where the subscribe button is. It's here, 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 here. Don't know, but uh, remember to hit that button. Share this. Uh, share the link to the site or to the uh, to the YouTube channel with all your friends. Another way for, uh, for you guys who uh, are listening to us. Uh, to uh, to just you know be able to look at this pretty face, look at this face. I mean, who doesn't want to see more of this? Um, don't answer that, please. Don't answer that. Um, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at slessonpod, facebook.com slash slessonpod, and email the show at slessonpod uh, at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, any podcasting platform. We're on there. Subscribe to us uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts. Five star rating and a small review of the positive variety would be absolutely tremendous. Uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing you guys again and uh, listening to you or uh, talking to you guys again after uh, Wednesday's matchup against France. Um, all to play for. I keep saying it, but it's true. Uh, we'll see what happens here on, uh, on Wednesday, and we'll have it for you on our next episode of the Sless on Podcast. My name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host of this podcast. We are a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. And as always, Força Portugal! Woo!